As I mentioned earlier, I am one of the pastors on staff here, and in my role, I have the privilege of meeting people in all seasons of life and uh, coming from all different sort of backgrounds. People who are living in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as the classic wedding vows put it. Life is filled with ups and downs and everything in between. And you may have heard that uh, we're aiming to start a program called Celebrate Recovery, which is for anyone that has a hurt, a hang-up, or a habit in life. And a hurt could be something from the past that's painful. A habit could be an an addictive behavior. A hang-up could be unhealthy patterns of thinking that keep us stuck, that limit us from enjoying the abundant life that God has for us, and that also impact others. And so Celebrate Recovery is an opportunity and a safe space for us to process those things so that we can find greater freedom and healing and hope through Christ. I mean, who doesn't want more of that, more of God's grace and His transforming power in our lives. And that's what it's, what it's all about. So we'll be launching that later on this, uh, in the fall is what we're aiming for. Let's face it, life is messy, and we're often part of the mess. And so in that light, we're beginning a new sermon series this week, exploring what it means to love messy people like you and like me, the way that Jesus loves because love like his changes everything. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your phone app to our text for this morning, which is going to be Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And I invite you to stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here ends reading of God's word. I invite you to be seated. This passage summarizes the ministry of Jesus to this point, and it forms a bridge to the next section, which is really how the, uh, the disciples are then sent out to continue what Jesus has been doing. And amazingly, that also includes us. The things that we see the disciples doing, at least in some measure, it's relevant for us. And it's the ministry of Jesus that becomes a pattern for our ministry to one another. And we need that ministry here among us. It's what we give 
to and with one another. But it goes way beyond that. Jesus sends us, in fact, to the ends of the earth with his life-changing love. And to love people as Jesus loves, we see, first of all, from this passage, it is to see as Jesus sees. It says that Jesus saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless. Harassed meaning bothered, troubled, bullied, and oppressed. And as a result, they're helpless, they're stuck, and they're unable to rescue themselves. And then Jesus likens them to sheep without a shepherd. Now, in the ancient Near East and in the Old Testament, a shepherd was a leader of the people. So the kings and the military leaders, the political leaders were considered shepherds. But also, we see in the Old Testament that the priests and the prophets, that the religious leaders were the shepherds of the people. And the point here is that they're neglecting their duty. They should be caring for their people by, by guiding, protecting, and providing for them in their various roles. But instead, they're so focused on themselves that they're neglecting the people that they've been called to serve. Think of King Herod. He's a Jewish puppet king who spends his time really partying and gallivanting with the Romans, kissing up to them. He's neglecting his fellow Israelites. The Roman authorities occupying the land are controlling them and laying heavy burdens of taxation on the people, keeping them bound and oppressed. Now, some of us, you know, can relate to that. In our, in our day and age, we think our taxes are oppressive. It seems like they were much higher proportionately back in that, time, in that time. And then the Jewish religious leaders are misguided, and they're laying all kinds of religious burdens on the people that, in effect, shut them out from the kingdom of God. I could never measure up. That's not for me. And so it's closing the door to the people. They're failing in their duty to instruct and to care for their people. And on top of all that, nine out of ten people in the ancient world were living at the subsistence level. Food insecurity was a constant threat. I mean, it actually is even here today in DuPage County for more people than we might realize. And then they're also don't, they don't have access to any kind of modern medicine to cure their diseases. And so they're hit all angles. They're burdened, they're oppressed, they're helpless. And that is why they're like sheep without a shepherd. They are impacted in all kinds of ways. Now, the excuse me, I thought I'd pick up my sheet of paper here that has been laying on the floor, maybe, maybe distracting someone. Um, just one of the Make sure that was out of, out of view. Um, what, what, I, what I was saying here is that these people are in a bad place, and they're really impacted from all angles. Now, this may be very different, the, the experience that they have in the first century from what we're experiencing in 21st century Chicagoland. But we, too, experience 
emotional, social, mental, and physical brokenness of various kinds. And so this is a relevant passage even for us. Jesus sees our brokenness. And to love as he love, loves, we need to see as he sees. We need to see those around us. As David Brooks puts it in How to Know a Person, there is one skill that lies at the heart of any healthy person, family, school, community, organization, or society. The ability to see someone else deeply and to make them feel seen. To accurately know another person, to let them feel valued, heard, and understood. And so to love as Jesus loves is to see as he sees. It's also to feel as he feels, to feel with and for people. It says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. In biblical usage, compassion means to be moved from the inward parts, to, to have a gut reaction, to feel deep empathy for others. In fact, the, the Greek word is splanknitsomai. It sounds almost German, but it's this deep, visceral reaction from the intestines to suffering around us, is to enter into that suffering and to feel it. And that is what drives Jesus throughout the Gospels. He is filled with compassion, and that moves him out in service towards others. That's the heartfelt response of Jesus to any need or suffering he comes across. In our age, through constant access to a steady stream of news reporting, we're confronted with news of suffering from all over the world at any time of the day. And that can desensitize us. Okay, here's another report about Gaza, another school shooting, and we think you almost just want to turn it off. We've heard it already. And so we can, it can lead to compassion fatigue. So how do we keep our compassion fresh? One way is to dwell on how God has shown his compassion to us. It says he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us all in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. As I reflect on how God has shown his compassion to me, how he has comforted me, then I catch more of his heart and I can extend it to others. So reflect on how God has met you in seasons of life and in points of pain. I was in a season of life many years ago in Sweden in the church we were serving. It was a fruitful season of ministry, but it also included some painful opposition from people that I had trusted. And during that season, I was introduced to an Eritrean woman, an elderly woman. I'd never met her before, never talked to her. She was meeting in the Eritrean congregation that was meeting in the same building as the Swedish congregation. And she was introduced to me as one of our prophetic prayer ladies. And I was about to discover what they meant by that. We had to have a translator, one guy that knew both Tigrinya, the language of Eritrea, and Swedish, was able to translate. But as soon as she took a look at me, she started prophesying. And it's like she could see through my soul. Has she been reading my, my emails? Has she, has she taken a look at my journal? Well, no. I mean, she wouldn't even understand it if she had. But it was like 
it was such a specific, detailed knowledge of what was happening that it just went straight into my soul. I had the sense of God sees, He knows, He hears, He's with me, He's got my back, He's for me. And she said some things that came to pass later on, which actually was part of our move back to the U.S. It's part of how God confirmed that. We'd lived, been living in Sweden for 16 years. And the thing, though, that stood out to me the very most from that simple conversation that we had for a few minutes was a phrase she kept saying over and over again. I'd heard it many times, and you probably have too. With her broken Swedish, she knew a few phrases. She would say, Jesus älskar dig which means Jesus loves you. And I thought, okay, okay, yeah. No, Jesus loves you. And she said it with such passion, with such presence, that I just feel God in the room saying, oh, yeah, okay, I get it, I feel it, I, yes. I mean, we know this, we know this. Many of us know this in our heads. But it, it was like God's compassion was starting to fill my soul, and that brought a lot of encouragement, a lot of healing during that fruitful but painful season. And experiencing God's compassion does bring that comfort that we can pass along. So let's remember how He's met us. The ultimate expression of compassion is the cross. God loves us so much and sees our need that He enters our dimension. He visits our planet. He takes a human nature to Himself. He becomes one of us. He walks among us. And then he gives his life for us so that we can be reconnected to God, so we can be united to him forever. That's the good news of the gospel. And when I'm gripped by that love, I'm propelled to pass it along. Another way to cultivate compassion is to get close to people. I'm struck by how often in the Gospels Jesus goes to parties and spends time with the wrong people, so much so that he becomes known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That he, in fact, he's a drunkard, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It says this several times in the Gospels. Say whatever you want about Jesus, he can't, he can't be accused of you know, being a boring guy to be around. People loved to be with Jesus. And he got involved in their lives. He didn't keep his distance. He got involved. You know, and as we get to know people and walk in their shoes, our compassion grows. And to do this well, we need margin in our lives. To not have it completely scheduled every day and every night of the week, but to be available to people that are around us, in our neighborhoods, at work, at school, and so forth. We need that margin in order to get to know people, and as we do, our compassion grows, and we can show the compassion of God that we ourselves have received. Loving as Jesus loves involves seeing others, feeling for others as He does, but also doing as He does. Jesus' compassion propels Him to caring action. So what does he as the quintessential good shepherd do for the sheep? Well, shifting metaphors, he tells his disciples the harvest is plentiful, 
The harvest is ripe. There's an ocean of need and readiness out there. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Interestingly, he begins with ask. This mission that he sends us to is impossible in our own strength. We need the presence and the power and the guidance of God to partner with him to heal the world. And that is what he sends us to. And as part of the answer to that prayer, he sends out the disciples in response to that. In fact, he sends us too as the pages of the New Testament unfold. Amazingly, that includes us. And we're invited to be some of those workers through whom Jesus continues his mission. And we do so in three key ways. We see Jesus sharing God's truth. So to do what he does is to share God's truth, first of all. Our passage says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And in the parallel passage to this one in the Gospel of Mark, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Isn't that interesting? He had compassion on them, so he began teaching them uh, many things. This really intrigues me. Jesus' response to human need here is to teach them the truth of God, to teach them God's truth. In the end, if the ultimate solution to our messiness and the key to life and eternity is knowing God, then really the most loving thing we can do is to introduce people to him. And that happens through the good news of the kingdom. The king has come. The kingdom has arrived. His rule and his reign, his liberating, saving, healing reign of Jesus has arrived. Now we all know that it hasn't fully arrived yet. That will happen according to the New Testament when Jesus returns. He will heal and restore and make all things new when heaven comes to earth. But even now, the kingdom is present. The kingdom is close. The kingdom is at hand. Through the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are invited to enter into this kingdom that is surrounding us right now, invisible though it is. We can enter into this kingdom and receive forgiveness fellowship with God, new and eternal life. That's the amazing news of the gospel. And this is an announcement. It's not good advice about what we need to do, all the boxes we have to check, all the hoops we have to jump through. No, this is an announcement of what God has done for us, that he gives to us. So it's good news, not good advice, because of what God has done for us in Christ, and he offers to us as a gift of his grace. You know, when they summarize Jesus' ministry, they say that he announced the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is near. The follow-up is repent and believe the good news. That is how we receive it. Now, that might be a big word for some of us. Repent basically just means turn around. You've been living your life without God. You've been living, going your own way. You've been, you've been your own master. Now, turn around and allow him to be king. 
Believe the good news that he is offering to you. And when we do that, when we receive that good news, we're connected to God. We're we're shown the meaning of life and we're given hope for eternity. This is the key to discovering our identity, our belonging, and our purpose, which which we talk about quite a bit around here. This is the key. And so one of the most loving things we can do is to share this good news and allow people to enter into this life-giving, transformative relationship with God. I'd heard bits and pieces of this growing up, but I never, and the, the penny never really dropped until I was a teenager. I understood that, you know, God does love me. He wants fellowship with me, but I'm separated from him because of my sins, all the things I think and say and do that are wrong. It, it creates a barrier in our distance. And that's why he sent Jesus to pay for that, to to create a bridge back to God. And if I invite him in, he will come into my life and make me new for now and for, and, and for eternity. It starts now and continues into eternity. And, and it, when I made that decision to say my yes to enter into this, this kingdom that he offers us, Christianity went from being just a religion to being a relationship with the living God. And that's made all the difference. So we're all invited to receive this good news and to pass it along in conversational, relational ways. And as this sinks in, it brings healing to our lives and the power to love one another well. But Jesus didn't just share the truth, teach the truth. Jesus showed God's power. To love as Jesus loves and to do what he does is not only to share God's truth, but also to show God's power. He demonstrated the truth of the message through supernatural signs and wonders. He went about, it says, healing every disease and sickness. Sort of like show and tell. This is what the kingdom is, and then he demonstrated it. He brought healing and freedom and goodness into people's lives. And amazingly, Jesus sends out his disciples in the very next section with authority to do the same thing. And as the pages of the New Testament unfold, we see that this doesn't just include the 12 apostles. No, this, this actually includes ordinary followers of Jesus. And this has continued, this kind of supernatural activity has continued through history in ebbs and flows. And it's happening right now around the world, especially in the majority world. Places like South America, Africa, and Asia where the church is growing rapidly. It's happening right now. remember hearing the report from a missionary in Thailand who was in the remote villages of Thailand. And somebody asked him, so how do you go about reaching people? You don't have much in common. He said, well, actually, we have a fairly simple strategy. We go into the villages, we cast out demons, and we heal the sick, and then people listen to us. Well, sounds like the ministry of Jesus to me. And this is something we can enter into more than we presently are. It's not just for the majority world. It's for the secularized, post-Christian, Western world as well. There's a hunger for transcendence here, for a supernatural encounter with God. We may not have words for it, may not know that that's what we're looking for, but we need the presence and power of God. We, we hunger and thirst for that deep in our souls. Now, sometimes this happens in dramatic ways, even in the West, I've seen some of it. 
But more often this happens in subtle, non-dramatic ways. I was having a conversation with a guy in the heart of Stockholm. Stockholm is one of the most secular cities in the world. This guy had just been released from prison, and uh, he was just racked with guilt and anxiety. And so we were talking for a while. I'd, we were passing out coffee and, and having conversations with people. And, you know, I was listening and trying to provide a little bit of just support. And then I attempted to share the good news of the kingdom with him in conversational, relational way, but it just sort of bouncing off. And so I, after a while, I just said, you know what? Would you mind if, if we pray for you? It's like, I guess it can't, it can't hurt. I don't know if that stuff is real, but okay. And then, so we had the team of us that were out there passing out coffee, gather around him, put our hands on his shoulders, and we just asked that God would touch him, that he would reveal himself to him, that this guy would experience God's love, that he'd release him from his anxiety. And as we prayed, tears started streaming down his face. He was taking deep breaths. And afterwards, when we got done praying, in just a couple of minutes, he said, wow, that was so cool. We really didn't do anything. We just were conduits for God's touch in his life. He set it up that way that we could partner with God in simple ways. So after that prayer, the conversation was very different because he, didn't, he hadn't just heard about the truth. He got to taste it, got to taste a little bit of the presence and power and the reality of God. And so one of the ways that we can be conduits of God's power is simply to pray for people when we come across them. You can ask, I've done this many times, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And then we just see what God does. And that can lead to all kinds of things. We may not even see it on the outside, but that's one way that we can be conduits of his touch in people's lives. In fact, we have an opportunity here today that we have a prayer banner over there. It says the prayer room over to your left, or if you're online, you can type that in the chat. There'd be somebody there who can pray for you. Your life doesn't have to be falling apart. Your life could be going great, but you just want another touch from God. I try to receive prayer every time I can because of the simplicity of it and that God really does infuse us with additional grace and power for living. And so I invite you to take advantage of that and to pray for others around you. Well, Thirdly and finally, to do as Jesus does is to spread God's love, to share his truth, to show God's power, and to spread God's love in other practical ways. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them, and his compassion moved him to caring action of various kinds. Yes, to teach and to heal, but also to wash feet, to befriend to feed, to be with people, include people that were outcasts, and so on. And when followers of Jesus live out their faith, the gap between how the world is now and how it should be shrinks. We get a little bit of a foretaste of heaven, that kingdom that it will be coming later. We get a foretaste of that when the church operates in the way that it should. My sister is part of a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, that has become known for serving the city in practical ways. 
They become known as a very kind, servant-hearted church. And they go out and they pass out coffee and do oil changes on cars and rake leaves and clean restrooms. And when people ask them, why are you doing this? They'll say, we just want to show you God's love in a practical way with no strings attached. People are, you know, blown away by that. And this has given that, that reputation of a church that really cares. It started with 37 people back in 1985, and it grew to 6,000 people. That wasn't why, it wasn't a marketing trick. It wasn't something to try to get, you know, this church to become big. It was just loving their city, and people felt it and started coming to faith in Christ and joining the church. It's just, I think, such an amazing example of this when the church operates that way. I know we've seen much of that here too by God's grace. The motto on the building is small things done with great love will change the world. That's Mother Teresa. And they have that as a as a motto on, on the church, church building there. Small things done with great love will change the world. In his book, The Air We Breathe, I've mentioned actually here before, Glenn Scrivener, the author, talks about how there's a direct line to modern values from Christianity, from the teachings of Jesus, from this very good news that we're talking about. Ideas of freedom, equality, and uh, kindness and progress. He shows that there's a direct line from the teachings of Jesus to what we're experiencing today. Even though we're becoming more and more post-Christian and secularized, these values are in the air that we breathe, and they really have their, their origin in who Jesus is, what he said, and what he did. I think he makes, makes a good case for that. But Christianity birthed universities, hospitals for the public, was the impetus for the abolition of the slave trade. It was behind the foundation of modern science even. Many of the early scientists were passionate Christians who were just simply trying to think God's thoughts after him. And so when we practice our faith, it is good for society, not just for us. It's not just about us. A hobby for Christians. And we're called to make a dent in a difference in the world. Now, for some of us, this might involve working on a larger scale for relief, development, and social reform through NGOs, through the private sector, even governments. Maybe some of you in this room. Go for it. It can be salt and light in those various fields. We hope that everything we do here as a local church in some way contributes to spreading God's love through caring action. But as individuals, as a church scattered throughout society, throughout DuPage County, Monday through Saturday, that becomes our main mission field where we can be a faithful present, we can be salt and light, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, showing and sharing what it means to follow him at home, in our neighborhood, at work, at our schools. This is where he's sending us. This is where we get to partner with God. And so I want to challenge you and invite you to consider an experiment. Maybe some of you are already doing this, but each morning, ask God, God, how can I partner with you to heal the world today? How can I partner with you to spread your love, your truth, and your power to others? 
Have your inner cell phone turned on so you can receive texts and messages that God might be sending you throughout the day and get ready for the adventure of being the hands and the feet and the voices of Jesus. That's the privilege that we have of partnering with him. Life is so much more of an adventure, so much more meaningful and exciting when we live it that way. So I invite you to consider that, maybe especially during Lent, to start each day, God, how can I be a conduit of your love in the world today? And then see what opens up before you. What to love as Jesus loves is to see and to feel and to do as Jesus does. And when Jesus was walking the earth, he extended his kingdom by sharing God's truth, by showing God's power, and by spreading God's love. And that is what he invites us to do. It's sort of like a cord of three strands that gets weaved together. He's calling us to weave that together as well. For his glory, by his grace, and for the good of the world. Let us pray. Father God, we are amazed at the depth of your love for us, shown most clearly in Jesus. Thank you that your kingdom is here, Lord Jesus, that you're present with us now by your Holy Spirit. I invite you to invade our hearts, to touch our lives, to to awaken faith, to draw us close. Lord, wherever we are on our journey with you, I pray that you would meet us there. That you would draw us towards what you are calling us to be and to do. Help us to receive what you're offering. Thank you, God, that we get to be in partnership with you in this world that you love that is so broken and yet one day we'll be fully restored. Help us to live with that hope and with that vision. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.